Welcome to Insights for Believers audio podcast. We believe the message you are about to receive from the Word of God today will ignite your faith in the saving grace of Jesus Christ and His love for you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Jeffrey. God bless you. All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, we are good to go. I, I just want to make sure that everybody can hear. Uh, Pastor Poju needs no introduction, but I will still introduce him because I have some people joining who are of a different community. So, uh, you know, we are, we are trying to build a small, diverse community here. <laughs> so we are, we are growing quickly by God's grace, but we have a few people that are from different parts of the world that really don't know Pastor Poju. So I need to introduce him a little bit and then we will, we will start. Pastor Poju is a teacher of the word of faith with an insight into its practical application in a believer's everyday life. He's the senior pastor and founder of the Covenant Nation, uh, TCN, a ministry founded in 1994 and headquarters in Lagos, Nigeria, where he oversees a dynamic community of believers who attend any of its services every week or join in on its online platforms. Pastor Pojoemade's call to ministry dates to his time as an undergraduate at the University of Lagos, and he was ordained into ministry by Bishop David Oyeripo, the presiding bishop of Living Faith Ministries Worldwide, aka Winners Chapel. He has been consistently described as a bridge in the Christian community in Nigeria, a link between the older generation of Christian trailblazers in the country and the younger generations. Uh, yeah, so that's the official introduction, but I will give ah. you an official one. <laughs> this, is, this is the man that, that honestly God used to, you know, transform my approach to faith and the things of God. Um, I remember when I used to, the first time I started listening to Pastor Boju was about over 10 years ago now. Uh, when I'm getting ready to go to work, I will, because I was living in a very small, tiny house. So I'll put on my TV. I can hear the TV from anywhere in my house. So while I'm preparing and just doing everything, I will be listening to his message. And when I'm done, I'll be like, I need to listen to that again. I don't really understand what he's saying. <laughs> so I will go and I'll listen, you know, I'll listen to the rebroadcast. I will listen over and over again. I will go to, I wasn't attending the church yet, but I will go to the Yaba Center and buy the CDs. And as I'm driving, I'll be playing it over and over again. And eventually, about two months later, when I started attending the church, I will attend all the services <laughs> on, the, on the Sunday morning. I will go to Yaba in the morning. I will, uh, once I see that he has left, I will enter my car and follow him to a good restaurant. <laughs> I will hear the message again. I, in fact, it was, it was a journey for me. For almost two years, I did that. I will attend five services sometimes on a Sunday morning just to make sure that I understand the message. You know, what am I saying? You have to pay attention today. You cannot multitask <laughs> when Pastor Paju is teaching. So you need to pay attention, okay? And don't be distracted. And I know you will be thoroughly blessed. I know you will be blessed. All right, so God bless you all for joining. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, over to you. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you, Shell. It's, um, it's, it's a great pleasure to be here and honor to speak all right, uh, to God's people, and I believe that um, this session will um, will be one that will all be blessed. Let's just say a word of prayer before we get it. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask as we go into your word, you will grant unto each and every one of us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus, that you will open up the eyes of our understanding, that we might see things in the spirit, that we might hear your voice behind us us saying to us and speaking specific things into our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, this evening I want to, or morning or whatever time it is, I want to speak on, of course, the theme is, 
is about as far as your eyes can see, as far as your eyes can see. Uh, that is what um, gets transferred into your life by God. Uh, God has made, um, what he has made available to us in Christ is described by Paul as the unsearchable riches of Christ. They are, it's spiritual wealth that can never be exhausted. Uh, but what do we realize into our own lives? As somebody says, what do we make our own private, bring into our own private space? It's dependent upon what you as an individual can see and can behold. And in the subject of faith, faith becomes very simple once we understand that faith is a product of sight. And once you see things clearly, then you will not have any struggle in appropriating those things into your life. And so I wanna talk about the importance of this. That's why when Elisha and his servant, and what had happened was they were surrounded by great, um, a great army, and the servant began to panic, and he saw that Elisha was at a place of rest. And so he went to meet him and asked my master, what's going on? And he said, more are with us than against us. And of course, he must have noticed that the servant was wondering that all I can see in the natural here is an army that surrounds us, that is mightier than us. What do you mean by um, 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 more are with us than against us? And the next thing was that Elisha offered up a prayer unto God. Now he said it, but he declared it. It's just like we preach it, but it doesn't really transform that person until they see it. So he said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the minute his eyes were opened, now these eyes, therefore, are the eyes of your heart. And you have physical eyes, but you also have the eyes of your mind or your heart. That's what the scripture says when it says, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. In other words, once the mind, the eyes of their understanding is opened, then they are going to see. And once they see things, then it becomes they can easily testify of those things. They've seen those things. So Elijah said, open his eyes, and his eyes were opened, and he saw chariots and all of that. And he too entered into a place of rest. Now he did that, all right, by, by opening up of the eyes of his heart. So we have a second set of eyes. That is, we see things through our optic nerve, and that's this physical world. But then we have a second set of eyes that to many people, it remains, all right, closed. And they are trying to get things done and appropriate things based on what they have heard other people say and not based on what they have said. We must remember Job at the end when he finally came to a realization of something. He said something very powerful. 
He said to God, I heard of thee with the hearing of my ears. But the difference now is now I see you. So what he had had in previous experience was to hear by the hearing of his ears. He said, but now with my own eyes, he said this, I see you. I think that's Job 42 and 5. Now with my eyes, I see you. So there is a level, and that's why Paul prayed for Christians in Ephesians chapter 1, probably the most important New Testament prayer. He prayed it for Christians. He said, after I heard of your faith and the love you have towards all the saints, I cease not to give thanks, making mention of you in my prayers, that the Father of glory, all right, God of love, Jesus Christ, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. In other words, when you get born again, you don't have this automatically. If the church will just understand this, then it's game over. All right? The problem is we think that once we get saved, the eyes we can see. And so we never offer up this prayer consciously unto God. He said that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened or opened up in the knowledge of him. All right, give the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be opened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance. In other words, the wealth that God has given to us in Christendom, you begin to see it clearly and you start appropriating it. So this individual is... is, is pursuing a dream that is beyond what is capable, all right, can be accomplished humanly. And someone says, what are you depending on? How can you? And he says, look, I'm going to get there. And I'm going to get there this year. And he says, what are you talking about? And they look around because the eyes of his understanding has been opened up and he has seen the riches of the glorious inheritance in him as a saint. And the minute he begins to move in that light, the same power that raised up Jesus begins to raise up all these things that he has seen with his eyes. So I'm speaking about this dimension that as far as your eyes, not your physical eyes now, but as far as the eyes of your heart can see, because all things are yours in Christ. But it's the person who sees, not just the person who hears. That's why in 1 John, John said, uh, in 1 John, let me, let, me, let me go to scripture and I'll read it now. He said, that which we have, um, uh, let me just look at it, First John, I don't just keep quoting the scriptures, First John chapter 1, he said this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, first level. You know, the Bible says, don't be a hearer only, add something to your hearing. And what was it? He says, for a man who is a hearer only is like a man who beheld his natural face in the mirror and went his way and forgot what manner of man he is. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues, that means he fixes his gaze. So he goes on and says, that which we have heard, then we went beyond that and said, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. That's another level. We fixed our gaze. That's why he says, uh, 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 Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, he said, we are with an open face. In other words, uh, God has opened his face unto us. We have seen something. Behold him. 
which is present continuous, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord or a mirror, we are changed into what we are looking at. So he said, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled of the word of life. So I want to speak about this. Uh, this is why David, all right, who was a man of great revelation, David, a man of great revelation in Psalm 13 and verse 1. He said, how long will thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face from me? All right. So when he discloses his face, it means with an open face, when he has opened his face unto us. He says, how long will I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Which means I'm trying to resolve this issue. And I'm taking counsel only in my soul, thinking about it. And I don't know how to get out of this situation. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Now here, David's prayer. He said, consider and hear me, O Lord. Lighten my eyes. Lighten my eyes. Open the eyes of my understanding. All right? He says that he might. Okay? God will give the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge of him that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. He says, lighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. All David asked for was open my eyes, for the riches are there. Open my eyes that I may see these things. Because when I can see these things now, then I can start appropriating them. I can start calling them into existence as though they are. I can start declaring those things and transfer what I have seen in the realm of the spirit, into physical. Because it's with words we translate. But you can only bring things into existence that you know are there. So you call them into existence. You speak words of faith because you have already seen those things. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel, he said, prophesy against this prophet. He said, why? He said, who speak from their own hearts? who follow their own spirits, but have seen nothing. In other words, they're just saying things, but they haven't seen anything. So the foundation here is that the eyes of your heart may be opened. So I believe that what happened to Paul and the reason way Paul discovered this, I mean, as, as an essential part of his ministry was that Paul was preaching, just like Elijah said, more with us than against us and the people were still behaving all right, even though he was preaching and he was preaching and he was preaching, so these people are not changing because you only change according to what you see and behold. Uh, that's why the Bible says that our light affliction, which is for a moment, walketh for us an eternal weight of glory. How does that happen? While we look not to the things that are seen or to the things that are not seen. So we are looking at the things that are not seen. He says it will walk for us an eternal weight of glory. The Spirit will transform us into that which we are seeing with our eyes. So he preached, all right? And then when the mother got to a point and said, something is still not right here, okay? And then he said, all right, I get it now. Give to them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let their eyes of their hearts be flooded with light. You know, the only power Satan has now, when we talk about power now, the only thing he does to keep himself relevant is to place that blindfold over the minds of people. But once the blindfold is off, then it's game over because we see that he has fallen from heaven. We see that he's under judgment. 
we see that God has made a spoil of principalities and powers. We see that there's no enchantment or divination against. We see all this thing. Okay? So that's all he can hold on to, that the Christians will just think that they can see. And so they will not never offer up this type of prayer. So let me just start out. I'm not going to take too long, but let me just start out by showing something. Now, in the, I'll go back to the beginning and see that this is, this is even what this born-again experience is all about. Anybody who is a born-again Christian who was preached to, all right, one of these two verses was used, all right, in the process of getting you saved somewhere. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Or John 3.3 and talks about the fact that you must be born again. So we find in that, talking about born again there, we find in John 3, all right, the foundation of this experience that we call getting born again. So let's go back to John 3 and really see what uh, Jesus was saying. He says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God is with him. So this, uh, Nicodemus came and said, look, no man can do all these mighty works you are doing, except God is with him. So the distinction is that God is with you, but God is not with us. And Jesus quickly flipped it around. And there was one thing about Jesus. All right, he believed in the. I'll just use this word, okay, a modern word. I'll explain. It. He believed in the democratization of God's power. In other words, it wasn't ex an exclusive experience to him. Even though he was the son of God, he didn't say, "Look, I'm doing this because I'm the son of God." He came and said, "The works that I do shall you do also, and even greater works than these." In other words. He didn't make it something exclusive to his calling, which means the rest of you can never attain to this. It was a democratization of God's power. When he spoke to the fig tree and it dried up and they said, what is this? He didn't say, well, you know, I'm the son of God, guys. You know, I'm, I'm this. He said, whosoever. In other words, anybody can do this. Whosoever, here's the condition, shall say, I will not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he say will come to pass. He shall have whatsoever. That means a whosoever can have a whatsoever. Anybody can attain or get to any place. Anybody can do it. Okay? So he did that. So the minute they said, except, he said, look, hold it here. Jesus said to him, verily, very, you know, that was truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, he said, these things I'm doing is because I can see certain things you cannot see. That's what he said. I, I, I mean, he talks, it says, and in order to be able to see these things, you must be born again. That's the only way you are going to be able to see beyond this physical realm into the realm of the spirit. And it's when you can see, then you'll be able to do. For somewhere else, he said, 
greater works than this shall I do, for my Father will show me. In other words, I'm going to see. So as I see more, I can do more. Then he went on, Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again? Then he said, except a man be born and water of spirit can't enter. That which is born of flesh is flesh. One of spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Then he went on in verse 13, and let's note what he said. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And then he said, as Moses, and as Moses, when you say as, you mean in the same way, after the same pattern, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness for the same reasons. Even so, in that same way, must for that for the same reasons, must not shall, must or not may, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son. In other words, he gave his only begotten Son so that his only begotten Son can be lifted up in the same way Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so that whosoever believeth, in other words, relates to Jesus in the same way he related to the serpent in the wilderness, they will not perish in any situation, but they, he says this, they, all right, will not be condemned, all right, will not perish, but they shall be saved. Now, so he tells us, even as Moses, in the same light. So we need to go back. Why did Moses lift up the serpent? What's the meaning of that? That we just casually say, well, you know, it must mean that, you know, you know, you should lift up Jesus and praise him and say, Jesus, we live pure, but it's much deeper than that. He said, go back and study Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. Now, he says, if you put me also in that same light and context, he said that nobody will perish but they will have everlasting life. So what exactly is he talking about? Remember, he said, except you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So if you go to Numbers chapter 21, or Numbers chapter, uh, yeah, Numbers 21 and verse 7. Okay, from verse, um, verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to come past the land of Edom, and the soul of the, and the soul of the people was much discouraged by because of the way. So the way God was leading them through, they got so discouraged with all the challenges around. And then they began to mourn. And the scripture says, and the people speak against God and speak against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up? Because that's what they could see. Nothing was around. Wherefore have you brought us up? Thou may die in the wilderness. There is no bread. All right. There is no water. All right. And our soul looteth this light bread. And then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they beat the people, and much of the people of Israel died. So they were going through difficult situations of by that way that they got discouraged. But that wasn't the problem. They were still intact, they were eating, they were drinking, but it wasn't comfortable. Now, 
they now responded to that discomfort by murmuring and complaining. And as they began to murmur and complain, serpents began to come out. In other words, demonic spirits were drawn to them. And I heard a friend of mine, Reverend Mark Hankin, the best example I've heard about this. He said he went hunting with a friend of his, a pastor friend of his, and you know, they were in from midnight, they were in the forest and painted and they had all the camouflage and the gear, leaves and all of that. And they waited and waited and waited and no animal came out. And then when it was getting to round about dawn, this friend of his started making a funny sound and they understand it. Oh, and started making a funny sound. And and she told him, so he told Reverend McCann's keeper, just, just watch this, and began to make the funny sound. He said, get your guns ready. And then made it many and for some time, the animals began to come out. This particular one and said, in shoot. And he asked him, so what was that all about? He said, well, this animal, this particular one, feeds on its prey on, on a particular um, smaller creatures. And when they are weak, and they are in pain, which means they are their weakest point, it shows up to try to now take them as prey because it really doesn't want a fight. And so the sound that is made by these weak, bleeding animals when they're in a trap or something is the same sound I mimicked. And so the animal thought that, yes, my prey is now available, let me come out, and then we could get it. And he said, right there, he understood the meaning of all the hours he spent with his friend. He said, there are certain sounds you make that demonic spirits feel that this person is weak. This person will not fight back because you resist him steadfast in the faith and will flee. So he doesn't want to meet with strength. He doesn't want to meet with resistance. So once he sends weakness and the sound that comes out of us that attracts demonic spirits is a sound of complaining, murmuring about it. What will always keep him at bay is the sound of praise. Now, it's not what you are going through that is the issue. It's how you respond to what you're going through. So the sound of praise and the voice of thanksgiving so the serpents came out and began to bite. And he say, and the Bible says here in verse 7, Therefore the people now came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord against thee. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpent from us, which means remove the serpent. Same thing Paul said. A messenger of Satan has come to buffet me, and I besought the Lord thrice. And we have to get this. I besought the Lord thrice. Change the environment. Take it away. Change it. Remove it from me. And God said, that's not the way it works. My grace is sufficient for thee. Something is going to come out of this situation. I'm not going to remove it. It's going to be changed. And so what happened was this. Remember, as Moses lifted up the serpent, the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fairy serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is beaten, when he looketh upon it, remember, 
First John says that which we have seen, that which we have heard, which we have seen, which our eye, which we look upon. Whosoever looketh upon it, it says our light affliction works for us an eternal weight of glory. While we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. So he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the son of man be lifted up. In other words, when people are in any situation, they have to understand that once they look upon Jesus in that situation and their eyes are fixed upon Jesus, they will not, all right? What the threat within that environment will not harm them. Right? It is what they are seeing in Jesus. That's exactly what is going to happen. And what Jesus is going to do is to use that particular situation there and take you as a person. It's not going to remove it. In other words, oh, they came to crucify Jesus. He prayed. He said, that this cup could pass. God says, no, this is going to be used to take you into the next level. So we're not going to remove it. We are going to, when they push, which means in physics, they say that everybody remains in a state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line. In other words, unless compelled by an external force to act otherwise. So people will remain where they are or move at the same pace in which they are moving, except there's an external force that will compel them to act otherwise. So this Bible here will remain here forever, except there's an external force that compels it. So also in life, he says, you will remain, all right, in the state where you are or in uniform motion unless something comes. This is the absolute defeat of Satan. In other words, when he comes, now what gives us the victory? The Bible says, had they known, it says, but what? It tells us this. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom of God, which none of the princes of this world knew. Had they known it, they will not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, ere heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared. And these things are revealed unto us by his spirit. For we have received the spirit, not of this world, but the spirit who is of God, that we may know those things freely given to us of God, which things we speak. So in the situation there, there are things that God has prepared that it takes that situation, the pressure for us, as David now said, to say, open my eyes that I may see. I'm not asking him to remove things, but open my eyes. And once my eyes are open, I will see within the scriptures, we get to this here, the provision of God for that particular situation. And if I can keep my gaze on the scriptures and I don't look upon what is going on on the outside, while we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen, we keep our eyes on that. It says the spirit of God will transform that situation exactly into what we are seeing. And that's why Jesus said, look, this thing about sight, he said, he said, prophets and kings desired to see these things. 
Peter said, even angels desire things that angels desire to look upon. This is the provision that we have been given through the blood of Jesus Christ. But that is why the eyes of our understanding, without that, we will never know why we're going through things. We will be, you know, the person will be talking about, for example, somebody in an office, they start treating the person wrong. That is pressure to compel you so that the pressure comes, you say, so that you don't stay in a place of rest or uniform motion, all right, you're compelled. So the minute the pressure comes here, we are not saying, God, remove this boss who is doing this or remove this colleague who is doing that. We're saying this, this, this staring of the waters means, this staring of the waters means, this pressure I'm feeling means that God is calling me to something bigger than this. This day, so I go to God and I say, listen, I thank you. That's why Paul said, oh, I get it now. He said, I get it now. I won't get irritated at anything again. He said, I now take pleasure in necessity. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in my infirmities. I glory in those things. He said, because by the strength of God. He says, then the power of Christ will rest upon me. Then, so he says, the same way I lifted. I'm not going to say serpents go. They asked, take this serpent away. God said, wrong prayer. Lift up. And whosoever looks upon it, what is going to happen, there'll be a change. So the idea here that is being communicated here is that once there's any form of, of pressure, anything on the outside here, just quickly go to him. Give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of my understanding that I might know the hope of your calling. You are calling me to something. What's the expectation here? And then once I can see that, and then I can look upon it and stay looking upon it, then he says, I'm going to be transformed right into that same image. Now, so where do we see Jesus? We see him in the scriptures. What do I mean by that? All right, it tells us in the book of, I'm sorry, John 5, 39. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, which is good, but the wrong notion is that you think in them you have eternal life. But what they do is they testify of me. So you want to know about Jesus, you want to know, it says, the testimony of Jesus is in scripture. Right? Uh, um, Peter said it this way. He said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When there came such a voice, but why I? We heard something, but what we did, we saw something. I witnessed. He said, when there came such a voice, he now said, but you have a more sure word of prophecy, which you will do well to take heed as a light that shines, which means go into that word, and you will see Jesus within that word. And what you see there is what God is going to, as far as your eyes can see. And and throughout that process until completion and manifestation, you continuously pray for greater sight. For the path of the just is as a light, and the intensity of that light can increase. For it says, as a light that shineth brighter and brighter. Peter said, until the day dawns, so you are there beholding until you are transformed completely into that image. So you schedule, all right, your prayer life and you schedule your time to keep your eyes on the word of God. You, you make sure that every day you are looking into God's word 
and you are seeing certain things. Now, when God opens your eyes, this this way, when He opens your eyes, you are either going to see scriptures you have never seen before. I mean, suddenly a scripture just comes out and is speaking directly to you, and and you see it, or you're going to see a scripture in a way nobody has ever taught you. When your eyes are opened, you see something yourself that nobody else has seen. So I can preach to you now. And the preaching there, what I'm doing by preaching to you is to tell you of this. I can preach that, that, that God heals and there's a conviction in your heart. You know, there were two men the day Jesus was raised who went to the grave and didn't see him. And they were going by the road, all right, called them and also so, and were walking. And Jesus appeared to them. And Jesus said, why are you so sorrowful? Now, this is Jesus now, Jesus himself. And they told Jesus that, are you a stranger in this land? Haven't you? Now, you're talking to Jesus. Haven't you heard about Jesus? And he said, what about him? And then he said, and the Bible says, he began to expound to them from the scriptures. All right, things about himself. Then it got to a point, just to cut long story short, he said, he opened their eyes and they saw that it was Jesus. And they said something, didn't our hearts born within us when he expounded? Now, so you can have the scriptures being expounded and your heart born and you're blessed. But you seeing him, you have to, you have to now press in in prayer and ask God, Open my eyes that I might see you here. There's a witness of you here. But let me see it. And when you see it, then it is no longer, oh, I'm doing what you told me to do. And it didn't work. Now is, I have seen it now. As Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. This revelation, this uncovered there. On this, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell, will not be able to prevail against it. I mean, I'll tell the story of a woman here. We, we can preach healing to people and talk to them about God wants to heal you and quote scriptures. Or well, this woman, to show what I mean by sight, she well, they were going to amputate her leg. The doctor said, well, this leg is gotten bad and we've got to amputate it. And she didn't want that. Now, of course, she knew she was in a ministry where there was healing and all of that, but she knew. But she went to God in prayer that God opened my eyes. This leg mustn't go, or my foot mustn't go. And the scripture that she saw that made her understand that, nope, it's not going to happen, was not a healing scripture. What scripture was it? In Proverbs, the Lord is thy confidence. This is what she saw and shall not suffer your foot to be taken. She said, that's it. God used that scripture and bam, it hit her. And she said, I'm healed. God, I have seen God. I've got it. I began to praise and worship him and got the manifestation of our faith. So it's this personal encounters when we see these personal encounters when we see so let me close here by showing this here. All right, in, in Matthew chapter 14. So in the shows, uh, Matthew chapter 14. All right, and 
what happened was, and anytime this happens, just know that it's next level experience. Yeah, next level experience. Um, the Bible says, and um, verse 23, and when he had sent the multitude away, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the winds were contrary. So the ship was tossed. So you can see, I mean, say she'd been tossed with waves. I'm that serious. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now, once you're in anything and it's being tossed, something begins to happen. Just know that Jesus is around. And this is next level through sight. But I've got to see him. But it's next level now. The staring of my own water my life means there's something is calling me to that is beyond my present operational level. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it's a spirit and cried for fear, which means they were scared of what they saw. And straight away, Jesus spoke to them, be of good church, his eye, don't be afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou bid me to come unto thee in water, and the Bible says, and he was come. And he said, come. And when he was come down out of the sheep, he walked on water to go to Jesus. So Peter began to walk on water. All right? Well, then something happened. The next verse, but when he saw, now, that the wind was boisterous. The wind was always boisterous. But the scripture says, when he saw, that he took his eyes of Jesus and now focused on the wind. So he was doing great things until he focused on it. And that's why he says, the light affliction working for while we look not to the things. The power of God will be working to produce while we look not. If we now focus on that, then it begins to affect us. And the Bible says, and when he saw, he was afraid. The wind being boisterous had nothing to do with him walking on water. Because if there was no wind that was boisterous, uh, the wind wasn't boisterous and it was calm, he's still walking on water, was still a supernatural thing. So sometimes we, as that's what Judah said, they that behold lying vanities forsake their own mercy. You take your eyes off what and behold. That's why you constantly have to be looking at what God has shown you. And so, and once you're looking at that, instructions just begin to come. Do this, do this. And people want right to do that. All right. When he saw the wind was boisterous, was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And so most of us, when we're in situations, we're just crying out, Lord, save me. Instead of going to that next level. And what's the next level? Open my eyes. What are you doing here? And he shows you. And then starts reproducing that in you. Immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? So how was doubt produced in his heart? All right. Because of what he started looking at in the natural. How is faith uh, easy in your heart when you keep your eyes? And what's the root of faith? Your eyes of your understanding being opened in the knowledge. So the knowledge of God is being communicated to you, but you at that particular point, in, so, so the same knowledge can be given to 3,000 people at the same time, but only one person sees. 
And, and that's why when Paul preached, it was only one man that saw something. And it was that man who was born crippled from his mother's womb. And Paul could see that he had seen something because Paul beholding him saw that something had happened. Because when you see something, your, eye, your face brightens. It's like new light comes with you. The Bible says the light of the eyes causes the hearts to rejoice. It, it creates a reaction. The same way if you look at negative things, the Bible says he became afraid. So you are looking at the things that are not saying is glad tidings of great joy. And Paul saw that. And because the man had seen something, Paul knew, not to any other person, but to that man, he said, job right now. The woman with the issue of blood saw something. And that's why she said, if I would touch the hem of his garment, understand this. She hadn't seen anybody do it before that. And how do we know this? When she taught Jesus, Jesus said, somebody has touched me. Even Peter said, look, Jesus, what are you talking about? Can't you see all these people thronging around you? What do you mean somebody has touched me? Everybody's touching and, and thronging. They didn't understand now, what that meant to that woman, to, to the woman was, as she was going to Jesus, she saw sick people touching Jesus. Nothing happening. She saw them. She, with her physical eyes. And that should have dissuaded her. But because she had seen something in the world that nobody else had seen, these folks hadn't seen it. So even when they were touching Jesus, they weren't getting it. So Peter said, what are you talking about? So this is something that the Father does in your heart as an individual. And she said, if I, not them, I will touch the hem of his garment. I, not them, shall be made whole. And Jesus said, somebody has touched me. So this is an encounter that you have in your heart, supernatural encounter with Jesus in the word. Seeing and then getting fixated upon the glory you are beholding is the key to transformation. Looking upon something means being solely occupied and influenced by what you are seeing. If we are looking at his report, that is the eternal things, not the visible things to our physical eyes, our hearts will be energized and joy will constantly fill our souls. As far as the optic nerve is concerned, Faith to him, as you are saying, is the evidence of things, all right, which means that are not seen. But when the eyes of your understanding is open, all right, faith becomes the evidence of things that you have seen. Faith then becomes the logical thing to do in any situation because your inner eyes have been opened up. So this is a major prayer. All right, for, for Christians to bring about real transformation into their lives. That you may have heard about Jesus, but you haven't seen. Just like those men said, they were talking to Jesus, but they didn't see, they hadn't seen Jesus. So God opens your eyes that the things that you are hearing might be translated into sight. That is, God told the prophet, what seest thou? That you can see something. And he said, I will hasten to perform my word. When you can see it, then you're going to see quick manifestation of that particular word within your life. Amen and amen.
Wow. All right, so I'll stop there. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. You guys got classic pastor for you today. <laughs> These are things that took me years, <laughs> years and years to absorb. Thank you for listening to Insights for Believers today. For more information or to send us questions, testimony, and feedback, please visit us at www.insightsforbelievers.org. Be blessed today, and we'll see you again soon.